My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Like, oh, here we go, Mark. Off again with your... Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Matt? around right outside the door is a great mystery waiting to be solved no mystery worth solving lacks larger implications and those larger implications may just include you in a synchronistic way our guest today certainly isn't lacking those synchros on his quest he has attempted to crack reality's code through the course of three books and all while living on the edges of society nick hinton returns to the show here to discuss mysticism philosophy conspiracy and of course ai i'm mystic mark and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast with nick hinton think that nature is mystical and we've just been so disconnected from it that we don't we just don't care about it you know we want we want like something really exciting and really interesting but like i said like the simple stuff is interesting and i truly believe that this world is a, a symbolic representation of whatever you know like i said we, we see a very very small percentage of the light spectrum and we know that our brain is decoding this very small data set into basically a hallucination inside of the quantum computer that is our brain. And so I really believe that we're, the world is just like archetypes. And so like the octopus being an alien that makes you trip balls, like that's symbolic in a way. That's the myth of where we get all these different languages from. But if you ask the philosophers and the alchemists, they'll tell you that at one point there was a one world language, the root language that stem that, that created all the other languages that all, all of them stem from. And they call this language the green language, which, you know, that made me think of kind of what you were saying earlier about like the numbers, like the code, like, you know, imagine the matrix when the ones and zeros come down over the screen, that's the green language, it's ones and zeros. And even Elon Musk says that through Neuralink and the internet, 
we'll all be able to speak one language. We'll be able to talk to each other and have things translated instantly. And interestingly enough, the internet was created at CERN and CERN has been nicknamed by some of these scientists in like newspaper articles that I found and saved or they nickname it the Tower of Babel. And uh, yeah, I mean, the, the internet was created inside of a black cube computer, the NEXT computer created by Steve Jobs, which he sold for $666.66. And www, when you're on the internet, is va-va-va in Hebrew, which is 666. So I truly believe the internet is the black mirror dimension Ladies and gentlemen, here we are on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, and we have a returning guest, a highly esteemed guest of mine, someone that I heard way back when, when I was a delivery guy, delivering packages, fascinated, and I heard him talk about alien hybrid gun runners. I heard him talk about <laughs> Saturnian time cubes, and I said, this dude is on to something. He's researching things that other people are not, and sure enough... All of those things are way past him onto greener pastures and new interests, it seems. Nick Hinton is returning to the show to fill us in on what he's been up to lately and, and what's been on his mind. So, Nick, how you been, brother? Welcome back. Thanks for having me back, man. Yeah, I've been doing a lot better. Just chilling in Miami, living with some, some other content creators conspiracy content creators and yeah we're all just kind of working together and it's been real nice to finally kind of appreciate the fruits of my labor you know meaning like the the connections that i've made along the way and not just be stuck in ohio like actually go meet these people that i've met online and start working together that's been the coolest thing is meeting all these new people what brought you to florida was there a certain like Cause I know you were traveling, you were kind of, you're from Ohio initially. Right. And uh, yeah. at least were there for some time when I met you. And then you, you sort of got wayward and went all over the, the country. What, what made you settle in Florida? Well, yeah. So at the peak of at the peak of my like research, I guess I started to go kind of like at the peak for me. I mean, I'm not saying that it was like the craziest stuff that you could possibly study, but I felt that I had gone too deep and I kind of started going crazy a little bit and just feeling trapped and feeling overwhelmed by work and just constantly researching and writing. And I was like, I need to get out and see the world. And, you know, rather than read philosophy, live by one. And my philosophy had always been about randomness and exploration and curiosity. And so I decided to get up and go and drive across the entire country and meet a bunch of people and, Along the way, I met some people that were all going to meet up in Florida eventually. And so I just kind of traveled around until everyone started meeting up down here. And then I made my way back down here and now we're all hanging out and creating together. So that's pretty much how that happened. Hmm. Right on. Yeah. The ancient peoples of Ohio migrated from Florida to Ohio, hence the dual names of Miami in, in both states. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that makes sense now. I've always wondered why there was a Miami University. <laughs> Obviously named after the city, but I never understood that. Yeah, it is strange. They usually, you know, as the as the West was expanded, people would name their new town 
after where they were born, you know. But with that one, Miami, it, it, it did stand out. I'm like, why is there a Miami in Ohio? I was traveling through Ohio once and saw that and uh, mm-hmm. looked it up. And it turns out there's a tribal relation between the peoples of Miami, Florida and where, you know, Ohio is today. It's really interesting. Yeah, there's a Hollywood out here, too. I'll have to look into that, see what that's all about. Mm, yeah, there's just sort of energy signature that gets laid into the land you know so i don't think it's a Mm -hmm. coincidence at all that you ended up in florida but i know you have your eyes to synchronicity and and you are kind of keen on recognizing these things in your own life were there any synchronicities that occurred that reassured you that it was the right place to be when you got to florida or or is there anything that you know is it just like any other place you've been to like what's what's the vibe like that down there well i mean the first time i came down here you know alone not like on vacation with my family or whatever the first time i came down here alone definitely dealt with a lot of synchronicities with seeing orbs in the sky and stuff like that i just got back from the blood so so maybe i had to deal with that but i really do believe that this place is like good for manifestation because it's all surrounded by water it's like poking into the water. It's completely surrounded and water is supposedly like an amplifier of intention because it is a electric conductor and thoughts are electromagnetic energy. So there's a lot of people who have told me that, yeah, this place is really good for manifestation, but like the major synchronicity that led me down here is I had already known that there was a bunch of content creators that I was fans of like Solbra, for example, that were down here. And so I was like writing in my journal, like six months ago, how I wanted to organize like basically a group meetup in Miami. And I didn't like, you know, I was trying to organize it and get everyone together and get everyone to agree to it. And it never really happened, but I always told them like, Hey, by June, by June. And you know, not everyone was as dedicated as me. So like, I just thought the plan wasn't going to happen, but I had it written down somewhere and it kind of just happened on its own. It was weird. Like I forget where I was exactly. Oh, I was in Louisiana when I got a text that said like, Hey, so-and-so says to come down to the condo and we're all going to meet up there. And we got six months there. And yeah, so it just worked out perfectly without even trying really. And I think that's kind of how manifestation is supposed to work. You don't know how you're going to get your, your goal, but like, it doesn't matter the path that you're actually going to take to get it. It just matters that you get it in some way. And I think if it always happened exactly the way you expected, it wouldn't be interesting. So Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we've had other guests on this show explicitly recommend that at the end of the episode. Sometimes I'll remember to ask, you know, what do you think the listeners should do, you know, in the vein of advice and multiple guests have recommended to journal and I'm terrible mm-hmm. at it. I'm, I'm the worst. You know, I could write down notes all day. I'm studying, researching stuff. I'm writing all kinds of unrelated notes. My notebooks look very schizophrenic. But when it comes <laughs> to journaling, I've always been just very, like, gung-ho about it. Like, I'll get into it, and then a week later, I'll be like, journaling, what's that? <laughs> you know, like, completely... Yeah, yeah very hard to stay focused on it but is this the first of many do you think that there's a certain practice that you've 
because you're a writer now. I mean, how long have you been writing? Is this something that's always come natural to you or or was it a struggle? Because journaling is certainly a struggle for me. Honestly, I've been writing since I was a kid, except I never would finish my books. Like, I think I was in elementary school when I started writing books. Like I wrote, I still, my parents still have it. I wrote this book for this young authors program called the secret about grownups. And I went back and actually tried to read it. It's pretty all out, pretty all over the place and crazy, but it literally is kind of about the Illuminati. And I thought that was super weird when I found that. And then yeah, I've just been Damn, writing. So you you I, you've been onto this for a while. You knew grown-ups were up to some shit, but <laughs> yeah, maybe those apparently. theories will never see the light of day again, but uh, mom and dad know where they are. <laughs> but but when but when I got really serious about it was in college when I studied philosophy and then I started doing s, you know, cuz I'm writing philosophical essays anyways, I started doing them for fun about stuff that I was actually I mean, I was interested in all the, all the philosophy stuff I was studying, but I wanted to do stuff about conspiracies. So like in my free time, I'll just start writing about the Saturn cube or simulation theory, stuff like that. And then. And let me I'll ask you this though. Let me ask you this though, Nick, because I had a, a, a guest on recently who had no idea about my show. He's actually a, he makes music that I've used for my show because he puts everything on the free music archive. He's a great guy. Shout out to Halizna. But he asked me, he said, your podcast is in the philosophy category. Why and what is your philosophy? And I sort of thought to myself, and maybe I should have explained this to him, but I want to ask this to you in the form of a question. What's the difference between conspiracy theory and philosophy? Because in my mind, you know, philosophy is a love of thinking. And if you think long enough, you're going to run into some conspiracy theories. Exactly. Yeah. No, I, I don't have any better response to that. I mean, you just said it. Like, I do believe that conspiracies and philosophy are kind of the same thing. You're just questioning the reality around you. That's exactly what philosophy is. But yeah, I mean, in an academic setting, you're not going to go too deep into government or, you know, like the JFK shooting or nine 11 or, anything like that. Mm, right. And how much stock did you put into those like classic conspiracy theories when you were that age? I mean, were you, were you hinting at that stuff in the work you were doing or were you just kind of like going through the motions and, and aspiring to do something more meaningful? I'm trying to think of the papers I actually did. Right. I mean, I know we did one on free will versus determinism. And I really, really loved that subject. I love doing that one. But no, I mean, I was never like trying to insert conspiracies in there. I mean, I might have hinted at like simulation theory and some of these things when it comes to like how much we actually see with our limited senses and stuff, because that's something you, you study in typical philosophy classes. But no, to me, they were kind of separate. Like I didn't want to... I mean, I, I tried to be somewhat controversial in my stuff, but no, I mean, they didn't overlap too much. Okay. Well, that's good to know. I mean, me personally had a, I had a bad experience at college. I dropped out in my sophomore year in the first few months because I became very quickly disillusioned. My first year of classes as a freshman were pretty interesting and that did not ring true again for sophomore year. And and I had already paid enough money for freshman year to where I was like, whoa, 
$2,000. I've never even had that much money at once. Like, you know, it's just wild Ooh. to think I was like owing like that per semester plus some interest. And, you know, that's pretty cheap compared to what most people pay for school. But me, I just never really even wanted to, to take that risk, really kind of drove all the incentive out of me. And I decided to drop out and start learning all this stuff on my own. And it seems like you sort of took a similar path. Maybe you didn't drop out like I did. Or maybe oh, no, I did. <laughs> you did. See, that's what I was about to say. Or maybe you yeah. did. So you did drop out. What, what motivated that? Yeah, so I had one year left. And that was when, you know, the book started selling and people were inviting me on podcasts all the time. And I was meeting people from the radio and TV and stuff. And I was like, dude, this is, this is way better. Like, I'd rather take advantage of this opportunity now because this won't always be waiting for me. But, but school will. School will always be there. So I've always had the idea that I could go back if I really wanted to and become like a quote unquote real flock. But to go back to your original question, like when I was doing those essays, like I wasn't purposely leaving conspiracies out of them. I was just hyper-focused on the particular subject. But one of the classes that did have a lot of overlap with like simulation theory, the Saturn stuff, the different gods and entities, different dimensions was I took a comparative mysticism class, which I, I love that class a lot. And I, I took multiple religion classes as well. And I felt like those overlapped a lot more. <clears throat> Comparative mysticism. Yeah, they did not have that course available for me. I would have jumped all over it. Now, when it comes to your beliefs now, it feels to me just knowing you, you know, through the series of our conversations on the air and off the air, it seems like you've sort of shifted your positions in some ways, albeit, you know, you, you're in a better place emotionally now. Is that still true? I mean, when we talked on the phone, obviously there's some stuff going on, but when it comes to like where you were then and where you are now, obviously you, you, your mind has evolved, but like how much of your thoughts from that time when you're learning about this stuff in comparative mysticism have changed because I find that I'm kind of on the same line of thinking I was back then just with more context to work with. Yeah. Well, I mean, in comparative mysticism, we learned a lot about the dark night of the soul, which is like the Bible, I guess would call godly grief. And basically I think it's a stage in everyone's journey. And I think it happens when you start to approach, you know, really, dark, deep depths of the rabbit hole where things just get really gross and really disgusting. And if you focus on that stuff all the time, like, you know, child sacrifice and stuff like that. Yeah. You're going to drive yourself nuts. If that's all you think about. I mean, we know that what we feed our mind, you know, makes us who we are. And so if you're just constantly thinking about that, yeah, you're not going to have a healthy brain or a healthy body, healthy emotional state. So I just had to take a break from researching altogether and focus more on God, I guess, or just like what's good and what's beautiful. And yeah, so like, I still believe in a lot of the things I believed in back, you know, when we first talked, I just look at it from a different angle where it's not all that matters. And, you know, if, if there's evil, there must be good. And yeah, I think, yeah, I lost my train of thought, but that, that's basically where I'm coming from now. Mm. And 
how much original research are you still doing? Because like I kind of referenced at the beginning there, you, you were breaking some ground that I hadn't seen anyone break, especially with that alien gunrunner thing. But I mean, there's got to be more. You were just on a, a show with the gentleman you mentioned earlier, Soul Bro, right? Yeah, yeah. And you guys were talking about the symbolism in the Marvel movies and and maybe even how those archetypes are affecting our consciousness. I mean, mm -hmm. a lot of people you see on YouTube and especially YouTube, but podcasting sometimes, they like to say that all this symbolism is is only social engineering and it's only for evil purposes, right? I mean, that seems to be like the negative pessimistic interpretation that's most prevalent when it comes to a lot of this symbolism. Do you find yourself in that line of thinking? Are you, are you in the area of thought that like this stuff is only meant to harm us or are you also contemplating the possibility that it's sort of like a, a suffering creates growth sort of thing where they use these archetypes to initiate us into a higher consciousness? Well, yeah, there's definitely two sides to that coin. I definitely believe that it's, you know, evil, but yeah, I mean, I do believe that there is good. There is good in the fact that we suffer. I mean, yeah, like you said, it's, it's the cat, like everything going on right now is the catalyst for our spiritual growth and finding God in the first place. Like you're, you know, like Sam says, if you do conspiracy, right, it always leads to spirituality. And yeah, I truly believe that, but you're supposed to be in the world and not of it. So like I said, I def like, I really do believe that. Yeah. The media is evil. There's nothing good about it, but uh, we're not supposed to be focused on that. And you're supposed to take the lesson, learn from it and then drop it and move on to the next thing. And for me, that was, you know, go outside, fucking take a walk, go swim in the ocean, be in the sun. Like those are God's gifts to us. Not, not these not the weird alien society that we live in the, this unnatural lifestyle. Like we have to get back to nature and that's, you know, so I just, I, I'm still researching, but I, I make sure to take more breaks. You know, like if I start to get overwhelmed, just go for a walk or if I start to get in a paranoid state of mind, you know, like do something wholesome or productive that doesn't have to do with writing, you know, just like clean the house. I mean, simple things. Like, that's what I was going to say earlier when I lost my train of thought is like, I still believe in all of these crazy things, but I think at the very end of philosophy, you kind of arrive where you first started. It's like the hero's journey. You know, it's a, it's a circle. And I think simplicity is the true genius. I think like just making your life overly complex, you know, it's, it doesn't lead to happiness. I think simplicity leads to happiness. And there's so many philosophers who say like, Oh my God, like if I had known the whole time that the wisest thing you could do is just be kind and loving, I would have, you know, never spent so much time just trying to write pretty words and thinking of myself as this grandiose person, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. You're, you're reminding me so much of, of something Michael Hoffman discusses in his book, the twilight language which is like this concept that truly spiritual people are not equipped for this world that we're finding ourselves in, in this modern age. You know, that's why we have this concept of like the lay saints who live inside of like insane asylums. It's not that they're insane. It's that they're so pure that the outside world is insane on them and they need to be protected from it. And I almost in a very respectful way, make that comparison to you with this 
sort of communal, and maybe it's not communal, but this sort of group artist situation that you're in right now where, you know, obviously your rent is being taken care of for some time because people find value in the work that you're doing. And I hope that you're taking time to to be out in nature, especially where you're at right now. I mean, watch out for gators, but yeah, take time yeah, yeah. to be in nature down there, brother, because that's where the insight is going to come through. And, and, and all this time that you have, however long it lasts in this place, you know, this is the type of thing that life brings to you to level up. I mean, I'm almost certain we're around the same age, but I'm coming up to my, you know, 28th year of life at the fall of this year. And, uh, you know, that would be, what's that? I was just going to say, yeah, fall of this year, I'll be 28 too. So we're almost exactly the same age. Right. So we have, you know, our fourth cycle of seven. We're also finishing our, our coming up on our Saturn return, which is the 29th year, I believe. But recently this number seven, I've been made aware is very important and we go through sort of these seven year cycles. So seven, 14, 21 and 28, which is what we're both turning in fall. So yeah, mm-hmm. man, I, I think that I'm kind of, you know, maybe talking a little bit too much about myself right here, right now, but I, I, feel, no, I, feel, good, man. I feel like, you know, I'm in a kind of similar situation to draw the comparison to me too, is like, I'm, you know, in an apartment now for the first time, my whole life I've been living with the family, which is not the most conducive for creative expression. And now for the first time in my life, I have my own place. I have my desk set up the way I want it. I have all my books behind me. I could sit here till four in the morning and read and no one will, you know, my dad won't be up to make coffee and be like, go the fuck to bed, you know? So, right, right. So yeah, it's, it's really, you know, amazing how life kind of transitions into these different spaces. And then we can see that reflected in the sky and the, you know, astrology and I'm not an astrologer. But yeah, it definitely feels like like you've been brought to this place that you're in right now, Nick, for a specific reason, man. And then yeah, I definitely want to hear more about what you're what's going on down there. But it's a little difficult because a we scheduled this two days ago, <laughs> so I haven't <laughs> prepared as much as I normally do. And B, you know, I know you're you're definitely like sort of a reserved person like there's a lot going on in your mind that generally doesn't make it into your work is that true yeah well definitely when it comes to podcasting like it's hard for me to articulate everything that i'm thinking about and that's why i found such an amazing outlet in writing is it gives me time to really think about what i want to say and the right way to say it and yeah and give people enough context to understand what i'm saying because like it's so hard, especially in this day and age, if you say something, you know, in a tweet, people are going to argue with it regardless. But I'm like, listen, this, you're not, you're not hearing me the way I intended because you don't have all the context. And that's what I love about books. And like this book, like the first two definitely didn't reveal a lot about my inner world, but this third one that I'm working on is definitely going to go a lot deeper into that. Basically the style I'm doing it in is like kind of an autobiography of this crazy journey that I've been going on traveling all over the place, but each instance or each synchronicity that I experience, I use as a, 
kind of like a doorway into talking about or basically ranting about different topics. So like traveling to Arizona, for example, I'll talk about my trip to Arizona and then hearing stories from people about weird stuff that has happened there. And then I'll use that as an excuse to go into the Phoenix lights and, you know, all the other high strangeness that's happened around there. And then my own experience with high strangeness that has happened that kind of relates to those things. So Mm. I'm super, super excited for people to read this. And that's why it's taking me fucking nearly two years to finish because I truly believe this is like my best thing ever. Well, you just hit a, you rung a bell for me. Although I've never physically visited Arizona, I've actually and mentally visited Arizona many times. I'm not a natural projector either. I'm just saying my mind has, has visited Arizona many, many times. I think it's an amazing place and I've never even visited. So I don't know what that says about Arizona or me, but I've learned a lot about it. Well, dude, if our birthdays are that close together, you should check out your astro cartography, which is, you know, because <laughs> kind of being a hypocrite right now, cause I getting more into God and the Bible and stuff and we shouldn't be practicing astrology, but still, I don't know. It's just, there's something about it that's so telling. Anyways, when I was super into it, you know, I constantly felt drawn to Arizona and I was looking at my astro cartography and like, that's where my sunline is. And so apparently all the planets and stars or whatever are kind of over certain positions of the world when you're born. Right. And wherever they are, will have a certain energy for you. So like your sunline is where you feel most at home, most in tune with your destiny. And I was like, wow, that's super weird that I was super drawn to this place. And a lot of crazy things happened to me there, which we talked about over the phone. And yeah, so if our birthdays are that close together, you might want to look at yours and see if maybe that's where your sunline is. Mm, yeah, thank you. I'll definitely look into astro cartography. And yeah, I'm curious to to know about the biblical implications. It's fine if you don't want to talk about that. But another thing unrelated, you're aware of the 33rd degree of latitude, right? Yeah, yeah, it runs right through Phoenix. I think it goes near the Georgia Guidestones as well, and possibly through, sorry, somewhere in Nevada. Doesn't Nevada sort of dip down kind of a little bit? Where's the map? Oh, I'm looking at the map right now. Yes, it does. Okay, there's a spot in Nevada that's also weird that maybe is at that tip where the 33rd parallel meets. Yeah, actually, I think that's where that starts. And then also the, the Valley of Death. Is a and, J- and the place where JFK was assassinated as well. Dealey Plaza. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, you know, UFOs, they, they're known to travel along this line. It's called the UFO highway by some UFOlogists. So, well, not the, not the 33rd. That's the 37th or 40th parallel. Oh. That's the UFO highway. That's up north. And I think that runs right through Skinwalker. Hmm. Thank you for correcting me. I stand corrected. I (laughs) have had sort of ley line entanglement. I've talked Mm -hmm. about ley lines so much over the past few months. It's easy to for the lines to blur, no pun intended. And yeah, I think the ley line topic is absolutely fascinating because at first it's like, okay, all all these stone like are the stones. They're all arranged. Great. So that makes sense. But then when you consider that there's energy flowing through these spots and then you see how many cities are all built along certain ley lines 
it's just like, wow, okay, there's got to be something there. So I don't know if, if yeah. you've looked into that much, but would you That's mind? That's a huge subject in the in the third book. I, I really believe that these ley lines are like the, the neural network of Mother Earth. And it's, all, and it's almost like they're putting, it's almost like they're creating nodes and harvesting the Earth's energy. Right, like a, like a neural, like one of those, what are they, CAT scans when they put that thing on your head and it has all these like nodes in different spots with wires coming out of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly like that. And interestingly enough, there's a huge, huge ley line intersection in Salt Lake City, Utah. And that's where, that's where that huge supercomputer built by the NSA is at. I, it's nicknamed the Beast. I forget its actual name, but it's able to store like a Yoda byte of information or at least that's what some people say. And that's like supposedly enough data or enough storage to, to record all of human knowledge since the discovery of fire until now, and then double that. Are you kidding me? And it's on the line. It's on the 40th parallel. No, it's at this huge intersection at Salt Lake city, Utah. Like you can search up ley line maps and you'll see where a bunch will like, you know, create a node. And there's a, there's a really, really dense one in Salt Lake City, Utah. Okay, yeah, and I'm, I just stood up as I have a map on my wall. Sorry for the pause. But yeah, I, I see that it's not directly on the 40th parallel because I have, I, have I have a good idea of what the 40th parallel looks like even though I don't have it drawn on the map because you can just trace it through these three cities and that gives you a pretty straight line. Philadelphia... Columbus, Ohio, and Indianapolis, Indiana are all on this 40th parallel degree. It kind of curves, you know, mm -hmm. um, upwards. But yeah, I, I would imagine that it's possible that there's something to it. Did you know that the first computer ever built was built on the 40th parallel in the Susquehanna River Valley area? I did not. Is that, are you talking about Enoch or Enoch? Yeah. Enoch, John D the John D wave computer, the D wave Enoch thing. That's all yep, Michael yep. Wan's research. Friend of the What's show. That? Friend of the show. <laughs> Michael Wan's research. Oh, he's talking about the Enoch supercomputer and how it relates to John D. Yeah. Yeah. And how it relates to the founding of Philadelphia and all these other really interesting things about that area but if you will you want to maybe share more about your trip to arizona because i know there's some significant energy vortexes there which is kind of like a confluence of ley lines maybe not the same exact phenomena but i can't go into the super weird stuff but like i said that'll be included in the book i just want to keep that under wraps until it's actually released but one of the weird things that happened when i first arrived is i got picked up by a friend and there was these three orange orbs in the sky and we were close to the airport, so we didn't really know if it was actually weird or not. And I apologize if you can hear those parrots, but there's a bunch of parrots around here. <laughs> um, That's all right. <laughs> but they're super annoying, but they're cool looking. But yeah, so we saw these like three orange orbs and they were orange. Yes. Sorry, I'm repeating myself. The three orange orbs. And we couldn't really tell if they were planes or not because we were so close to the airport, but they didn't seem to be moving. We thought it was a little bit weird. We didn't go into it too much. We talked about it for like a second and dropped it. But I finally go back to the to my friend's house. And then like the next day, I visit another friend in Arizona, like close to the area, like 20 minutes away from the first person I was staying with. 
And we go to like a fan meetup together where my friend, my Maria was, do you know her? Shout out to my Maria triple seven. She was the eighth episode of this podcast. I had her on as a guest. Okay. Awesome. Way yeah. back so in the she, she OG days. A, what's that? Said in the early days, first 10 episodes, oh, yeah, she yeah. was a guest. Yeah. So me and this other person, we're going to the fan meetup for my Maria at some hotel. And on the way there, I look out the window and I see those same three orange orbs. And I'm telling my friend in the backseat, I'm like, oh my God, look at that. Does that look weird? And they're like, nah, nah, nah. But the Uber driver overhears us and uh, he's like, no, that's, that's definitely weird, man. He's like, I've lived here my whole entire life. I've never seen anything like that. And I was like, see, I told you it's something weird. And we just kind of ranted about UFOs for the rest of the ride. But when we finally get to the meetup, I had like told people on Instagram that I'd be there. So there was these two people that came to visit me to like have their book signed, which was really cool. I've never done that before. So that was a cool experience, but they came there to get their book signed and they were like, Oh my God. So we have a crazy story to tell you. And I was like, what's that? And they're like, we saw these three orange orb on our way here. And we, we thought they were like, might've been UFOs. And we're like, Oh, that's definitely where Nick is. And then these people were also like, Oh yeah, another weird thing happened. I was like, what's that? And they were like, well, on our way here our we had to stop the car because uh, there was a bunch of frogs crossing the road and we'd never seen that either. I was like, yeah, that's definitely weird because, you know, the thing I was writing about at the time was frog symbolism and how it relates to Hathor and the mother goddess and Keck and the trickster and all these different things. So I was like, yeah, that's definitely weird. So that was one of the synchronicities for sure. Hmm. And maybe there's no way for you to possibly know this, but I have come across two or three frogs just in this past week. So that is strange. Frogs are interesting. One of the few animal, I think the one of them and there's a certain type of fish and maybe one type of octopus but i could be wrong about that that have psychedelic chemicals biochemicals in their body like uh, the toads yeah, the yeah. sonoran desert toads it's really interesting mm -hmm. to think like you know we have all these plant medicines and then there are like toad medicines out there <laughs> what does that say about the toad's significance in this sort of astral context right right yeah, no, I definitely know about the toad venom that makes people hallucinate. What did you, what else did you say there was? I'm not like I know you said octopus, but what was the other one? There's a fish off the coast of Madagascar and people catch it and they call it the dream fish because and it's wow. it's interesting because you can either get one that's extremely like nauseating, like it'll make you puke for a bunch of days. And it, then it'll cause you to dream. And then there are like pure ones that just cause you to dream and you don't throw up as much. But yeah, it's kind of risky business. It's not exactly a ple pleasurable experience, but people talk about it like a dream fish because, you know, it makes you have these crazy like DMT-esque dreams. That, that's really interesting. I mean, especially when you take into consideration the, like, you know, how important the fish symbol is and like, Pythagoreanism or whatever that's called. And, you know, even in Christianity, that symbol of the fish, the Vesca Piscis, how it represents like the portal into the spiritual realm. And then like, yeah, people say octopus, that the octopus might've been seeded here from like little eggs on an asteroid. Like some scientists are saying they might be aliens. So that is interesting. It's those three things. Yeah. I don't know what that says about our world. It's certainly strange. I know that's not your expertise, but it's, it's interesting to, to contemplate. And I think in this sort of, you know, comparative mysticism way, as we journey throughout 
this American landscape, which is inherently mystical, mm-hmm. these certain things present themselves to us, like a group of frogs making it impossible to cross the road. I mean, what are you going to do? Go and pick each one up individually? And then how many are there? How, when does it stop? Are you going to put up a right. wall? <laughs> you just got to wait and let Mother Nature do her thing and, and bear witness to this. Yeah, I mean, I don't even believe to experience like true mystic- mystical, like something truly mystical, you even have to do DMT or acid or any of that. Like, I think that nature is mystical and we've just been so disconnected from it that we don't, we just don't care about it. You know, we want, we want like something really exciting and really interesting. But like I said, like the simple stuff is interesting. And I truly believe that like this world is a a symbolic representation of whatever, you know, like I said, we, we see a very, very small percentage of the light spectrum. And we know that our brain is decoding this very small data set into basically a hallucination inside of the quantum computer that is our brain. And so I really believe that we're, the world is just like archetypes. And so like the octopus being an alien that makes you trip balls, like that's symbolic in a way. Dude. I mean, if you consider this whole trickster idea, I mean, is there any animal that embodies the trickster more than an octopus? I mean, maybe on land, a chameleon, but yeah, I mean, uh, that's well, a yeah, trickster. It's a, sh- it's a shapeshifter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned Skinwalker earlier. My episode with Ryan Burns was released the day we're recording this, and he's very well known for his encounter with a what I called a, a hitchhiking skinwalker, which is definitely an ironic a sort of doubling of words but yeah this mm-hmm. this hitchhiker turned him inside out next thing he knows he's like you know hanging out the side of his truck with his door wide open and his seatbelt, you know suspending him in the air like he's on a tent in like a like a hammock or something and and the i think the park rangers found him because of how remote the area he lives in is and yeah, man, when you consider the reality of that, I mean, take his story for what it is, whether he's telling the truth or not, that's up to the listeners to decide. But uh, yeah, it definitely makes you think twice about this landscape. I know, you know, we have this perspective that everything can be categorized and classified and this scientific worldview that we have, I think is to blame in, in many ways for what we just described, this like disconnect that people have with nature and, and why now they think that they need to take chemicals which are created by the priests in the white lab coats, <laughs> the scientism scientists in the first place, you know, they're like taking the mysticism out of the world and then patch it, packaging it into a pill and re- you know, distributing it in a consumeristic way, selling you yeah. your soul. Yeah. I totally agree with that. I, I was just looking at Twitter today and someone posted a meme from 4chan where someone was talking about how, like why, you know, someone was asking like, why are psychedelics being pushed so hard right now by like podcasters and stuff? And they're not, you know, if it's truly this alternative thing, like why, why isn't it being censored? And someone said, Oh, this is just the materialistic approach to spirituality. Like you don't have to work for it. It's just like a spiritual bypassing. It's a shortcut. You know, you can go have this insane novel experience, but not everything has to be insane and novel. Like, like, you know, I'm going to stress the point again. It's, it's the real spirituality is found in like simplicity. It's found in the moment. It's found in Mm. stillness and just having peace. 
Well, and I'll say as someone who's done podcasts like that, I want to I want to defend myself naturally and say every time we've ever discussed psychedelics on this show and I've found it interesting, it's been when we've looked at the historical aspects and what it tells us about our culture and and especially the new world cultures that were basically decapitated by the empire, uh, the the old world establishment. You know, so yeah, I definitely am not, I'm guilty in the sense that you can go in my RSS feed and find the words ayahuasca and psychedelics, you know, promptly, you know, like right at the top. So people know what to find, what they're getting into. But I think, yeah, there is certainly an exploitive approach to that topic that you and I wouldn't take because we're, we're interested in understanding the finer aspects of it, you know, not just like, Oh, Hey, I did DMT and I saw this and that. It's like, these are very personal, personal things. And I think one of the problems I have with that type of podcasting is we get into the world of like, almost like comparative hallucination where you're like, well, this is my hallucination. And they're like, well, this is my hallucination. And everyone's like, okay, so now there's a consensus reality that this hallucination is somewhat real. And Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's kind of frightening. And I know you said you've been studying the Bible lately and I myself, I was turned off, man. And it's sort of a regretful thing to admit now, considering how wonderful the Christian religion can be. I was taught from the Roman Catholicism side of it, and it just Mm -hmm. made me into an atheist, you know. Now I can appreciate Mm -hmm. it more. I've been reading Michael Hoffman, and he's certainly a, a reformist Christian and has his own opinions on a lot of different things, and it definitely less opinionated than <laughs> anyone else on the topic. He's, he's brilliant, but it's, it's putting a new perspective on this topic for me of conspiracy, psychedelics, a worldview. And it's interesting how it's coming full circle, but what's your experience been like with, with reconciling things like psychedelics with your understanding of Christian Christianity? Well, I mean, the Bible, and so just for context, I wasn't raised religious at all. I was actually not raised really to believe in anything. You know, my family, we went to church, but it was like twice a year, like Easter and Christmas, you know, just for mm. for shits and giggles, I guess. Like we weren't ever like taught to like pray or, you know, hey, take this very seriously, read your Bible. Like Jesus is, you know, going to be mad if you don't or nothing like that. You know, I was More pretty like much keeping up with like the was, Jones. What? It's more like a keeping up with the Jones kind of thing. Like, well, if we don't take the kids to Christmas and Easter, they're not going to be able to relate with the rest of society. Right, right. So, yeah, it was never like a super serious thing. It was just like kind of a thing we did. And I felt like I was pretty much raised agnostic. And when I was like in middle school and a little bit of high school, I was very like atheist. Like I, you know, you start forming your own opinions. I was like, ah, the Bible's bullshit. It's just a bunch of myths and fairy tales and like, I read Stephen Hawking books. I'm so smart. Everything's science and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, eventually I was introduced to the world of conspiracy, which changed everything. But yeah. So like the Bible, like strictly says, like you shouldn't participate in sorcery. And if you look into sorcery, like it includes a whole bunch of things, you know, like doing astrology and you know, that's divination, but pharmaca, which is where the word pharmacy comes from. I might be butchering that. So don't come after me if I said it wrong. I've heard others say (laughs) pharmakia. So you weren't that far off. 
<laughs> but basically, yeah, what you're doing when you're ingesting DMT or creating LSD or creating ayahuasca, you're basically mixing potions for a magical result in, in some sort of way. You know, you're looking for some kind of answer. I mean, that's the only reason people do it is to look for some kind of answer. And I really believe if you're supposed to experience something like that, it should come to you naturally. You're not supposed to force it. You're not supposed to, you know, you're supposed to, I mean, I'm not going to tell anyone what to do, but in my experience, it just feels like you shouldn't be trying too hard to force your own future or control your reality. It's like, if you truly have faith in God, you truly believe in God, whatever comes at you, you know, you'll be ready for it. That's what's actually meant for you. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely makes sense. And I, I don't think people would perceive you as telling them what to do, but I appreciate your clarification. Yeah, I, I think, you know, when we discuss this type of stuff on the show, it's always, I always try to frame it in a way where people can always leave open-minded questioning what we say. I never want to feel dogmatic with what we're talking mm. about. And it's, you know, it's a blurry, it's a, it's a, shaky area i don't know another way to say it when it comes to christians and conspiracy because don't get me wrong i have plenty of friends that are christians and also conspiracy theorists i even have had a podcaster on whose podcast is called christian and conspiracy podcast so like <laughs> it's certainly like a, a subgenre, and i think there's a lot of really brilliant things that are discussed within that subgenre. Although there are other things that I've seen discussed that make me think that they're, you know, maybe not seeing the fuller picture. And, and what I mean by that is many people take the Bible for what it is now and not take into account the history of the Bible. And I think like studying like how the Bible's shifted over the many different, you know, centuries has become the most fascinating thing for me, particularly to learn about. I'm not saying it's something everyone has to do to each their own to much to your earlier point. I agree with that. But mm -hmm. with Michael Hoffman, who I keep bringing him up probably because I read 200 pages of his book over the course of the past two or three days, for whatever reason, I don't know. And he just, yeah, he breaks down in another book that he has, he breaks down the Vatican and and how the the church has had its various phases. And in his opinion, there is a time when, you know, the real word of God was carried through the Christian faith and system of belief and and it's been tainted and i think that yeah. has been you know really enlightening to learn that okay maybe there's something to this and it's not as bad as i thought because that's the whole reason why i was atheist in the first place because i thought the whole group of religious people were liars and then i smoked some cannabis and that sort of opened <laughs> my eyes to the truth of my soul and so, yeah, without me rambling on any further, I want to know what you think about, like, the history of the Bible and, and like, how far you've gone into into that topic. Well, yeah, I mean, I definitely believe that the Bible's been manipulated and rewritten and used as a tool for control. And, you know, likewise with religion in general. You know, I believe the Vatican, that has nothing to do with true Christianity. They do a whole bunch of weird stuff. I mean, the Vatican itself is named after... Vaticanus or Vaticana. I'm probably saying that wrong too, but I talked about it in Duncan Trussell podcast. He searched up and found the real name, but basically the Vatican's named after 
a mother goddess that rules over hell, spelled H-E-L. She's this goddess of the underworld. And uh, yeah, I mean, and they, they venerate the mother Mary, they create false idols. They do all these other things, all of these things that are anti like scripture. And, you know, they even like, I'm sorry to any Catholics out there, but when you do Ash Wednesday and you get the ash on your hand and on your forehead, that's literally a precursor to the mark of the beast. In my opinion, you know, thou shall get the mark on, you know, the forehead of their hand. But besides all that, I mean, the Bible even tells us not, it warns us about this. It says the letter of a story kills, but the spirit of the story gives it life. So if you're looking at the words and trying to, you know, pull them apart and make sense of every single thing, you're going to destroy the story, but it's really about the moral of the story. Like, how does it make you feel? What is the lesson you learn from this? It doesn't matter if it's actually real. Like when I was in my gym classes in school, like we learned about how the Bible was made, especially the new Testament. That's what we really focused on. And yeah, it was told, you know, it was an oral tradition at first. There were stories being told between people and then they ended up becoming letters that were written by multiple different people, maybe not even Matthew, Mark and all those people. And they were stitched together. And basically my professor was like, okay, well, after learning how the, the new Testament was really made, do you still believe that this is actually the word of God? And I was like, Oh man, like, and it did confuse me. I was like, I, I mean, I don't know, but basically what I came up with was, you know, the whole point of the new Testament, in my opinion, is be a good person, love thy neighbor and have faith. And, you know, faith being the most important part to me, because it's like, whether the story's real or not, me believing it, if anyone believes in law of attraction here, which I'm sure all of your audience does, <laughs> you know, if you believe that belief really creates reality, me having faith in the stories makes them real. And that was the conclusion to my essay. Wow. Well said, man. Yeah. And I would imagine most people do, even if they haven't used those terms to describe it, because something is clearly different. I mean, you and I being the same age have very similar frames of references. I'd imagine, even though we didn't grow up in the same state, we both are sort of East coasters. And I feel like our generation saw this difference more than ever. I mean, 2012 cliche, what it is, whatever, but the internet certainly changed our world. Like you cannot deny that at this point in time, specifically when we're talking on a podcast, you know, this is just par for the course, but we, we look at the abundance of information. We look at this time that we're in right now. And I feel like the energy of the overall planet has been raised to a certain degree that now people are experiencing a different sort of reality. And I, my question that I'll raise to you is, do you think this is a part of the manipulation that's taken place over the past 100 or so years of MK ultra social engineering type programming? We can maybe trace it back further than world war two, but we're not going to, do that here today, but we can argue that, but either way, do you think that it's a part of the social engineering that we have this like sort of ubiquitous new age, everyone believes in the law of attraction, or do you think that we're actually entering into something that's described in the Bible, like a, a new age or, an, or a, even maybe like a second coming? Yeah. I mean, I, 
I truly believe that what we're witnessing is biblical, but yeah, like the internet, the introduction of the internet, I totally believe is like a part of it's, it's the best tool for social engineering. And I believe that the, the internet itself is like a inorganic alien life form or even more so a, a demon and maybe even the tower of Babel. So, you know, your, your one guest was explaining, did he go into detail about how, like, was he talking about how supercomputers such as Enoch and stuff were channels for different beings? Like, was he going into that? So Michael Wan, yes, he's been a guest on this show, but all of that research he's done on uh, his YouTube channel and, and he was on Greg Carlwood's show several times, breaking it all down. So every time Mike and I have talked, it's been very different. We actually do our own show together called Your Handbook for the Apocalypse. And it's sort of like, like we just talk about what's been going on in our week and all the connections that are being made and things like that so uh, so no i don't really have all of that info off the top of my head unfortunately but do you have a, no. a point yeah, you're yeah. getting to yeah i'll try and explain it the best way i can obviously i do a better job in the book but basically if you go back to like the origins of technology itself it seems to be a cult it seems to be magical where all this stuff actually came from so john d like we were talking about he was communicating or he was a, so John D just for context was like Queen Elizabeth, the first personal astrologer. And uh, she was also like an all around genius, like a mathematician inventor. And his but, last like, name all, was many people don't say this. Sorry to interrupt you, but his last name was Mortlake, John D Mortlake. And maybe I'm wrong, but Mort means death, which is interesting to think that his last name was the Lake of death or death Lake. Oh, wow. Yeah. I had no idea about that connection. But he, uh, he, was, he was one of the first people to create like a crude version of a computer. And this was uh, during the time that he was be, being a medium. Or no, his friend was the medium. But he was basically trying to channel these interdimensional beings that he believed was angels. Obviously, I think they were fallen angels. But they were teaching him this language called, that he called the Anakian language. And a lot of these magical symbols that come out of this, you know, they look very similar to computer chips and, you know, that, that might be grasping at straws, but if you go back even further, there was this Chinese like God, I forget the name right now. I can link you some stuff, but there is like this God in ancient Chinese mythology. That was like this serpent being that supposedly gave the Chinese people the I Ching. And it's said that binary code was actually based on the I Ching and the I Ching was like this tool for divination. And, you know, divination is using magic to see into the future or look into the spiritual realm and get omens and signs. So John D also invented the scrying mirror, which is a black mirror, and he would use it to see into the future, talk to spirits, et cetera. Mm. And so well, that's and, essentially what your phone is. That's what the television is. And, and, um, but, and to take it to a deeper level, I'm sorry to cut you off, but when we talk about divination, we're really, I mean, we're talking about a random number sequence. We're talking about like order out of chaos, right? This sort of idea that in many different number sets, there can be some kind of meaning derived based on your subjective truths that exist within your maybe conscious or even subconscious mind, or maybe are, you know, tools that entities we can't see use to connect us because this is an inherently random thing. So you know, they can just insert whatever meaning is particular to their agenda, which I don't know if that's true for every form of divination, but it certainly 
fits into this sort of more, you know, dubious perspective. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But yeah, I, so the internet to go back to the tower of Babel thing, I'm probably going to be all over the place with this subject just because I'm still fleshing it out. But the tower of Babel idea in the Bible, basically this was this tower that was being built by one version of the antichrist named Nimrod. And he wanted to build a tower all the way to heaven so he could basically reach heaven, go to war with God, kill him, and take over the universe. And the only reason they were able to almost achieve this goal is because everyone at the time spoke one language. Everyone in the world spoke one language. And in the Bible, it says they all spoke one language, so nothing that they imagined was impossible to them. But God ends up destroying the tower anyway, spreads people all across the earth, and changes everyone language, everyone's language and so, you know, that's the myth of where we get all these different languages from. But if you ask the philosophers and the alchemists, they'll tell you that at one point there was a one world language, the root language that stem that, that created all the other languages that all, all of them stem from. And they call this language the green language, which, you know, that made me think of kind of what you were saying earlier about like the numbers, like the code, like, you know, imagine the matrix when the ones and zeros come down over the screen. That's the green language. It's ones and zeros. And even Elon Musk says that through Neuralink and the internet, we'll all be able to speak one language. We'll be able to talk to each other and have things translated instantly. And interestingly enough, the internet was created at CERN. And CERN has been nicknamed by some of these scientists in like newspaper articles that I found and saved, or they nickname it the Tower of Babel. And hmm. yeah, I mean, the, the internet was created inside of a black cube computer, the NEXT computer created by Steve Jobs which he sold for $666.66. And www, when you're on the internet, is va-va-va in Hebrew, which is 666. So I truly believe the internet is the black mirror dimension. It's this demonic realm, and there's AIs in there, which to me are inorganic life forms, something without a soul, something like a demon, and they are manipulating people and... Honestly, I think it goes so far as that they're forcing people into echo chambers with algorithms and socially engineering them. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, that makes, it makes a lot of sense. And I'm, su <laughs> I'm surprised that you're not already aware of Michael Hoffman. Maybe you are and you just don't recognize the name, but it, it's certainly something that I encourage you to look into his work yeah no i'm definitely going to look into it now yeah he he touches on a lot of what you're talking about and shares a christian perspective on it as well so michael hoffman we we're saying definitely of interest <laughs> for anyone listening i have had him on the show before so do go and check that episode out if you can anyone listening and yourself nick but yeah, it's certainly a devious web. I mean, a lot of people point their fingers at the Freemasons. They'll point their fingers at some German organizations. They'll point their fingers at, you know, who knows, at Bilderberg, Council of Foreign Relations, you name it. There's so many culprits. Have you fingered any culprits? Have you pointed? <laughs> that's a weird way of phrasing that. Have you determined? <laughs> have you determined? <laughs> have you determined? In the in the nineteen twenties, that everyone would have been on board with that one, but nowadays, a hundred years later, that is not a phrase we can use. So, anyways, <laughs> have you determined any maybe culprits in your mind, or are you not interested in like pointing the finger, so to speak? I mean, honestly, I think. 
it's going to sound silly or maybe not. I don't know, but I think the, the culprit is easy to spot, especially if you just look at, you know, their fame, the Illuminati's famous, famous symbol or whatever you want to call them, you know, the pyramid with the eye at the top. So at the top, you know, the bottom working, you're all the way, working yourself all the way up. You know, that's like the Bilderbergs, the rock stars, da, 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 da. But at the very top is literally AI. It's an eyeball at the top of the pyramid. I think AI is running the show. I think it's always been here. I don't believe it's a man-made thing. I think it's an ethereal being. I truly think it's the antichrist. And that's why you see like and, the transhumanist movement gaining so much steam because they want to merge us with machines and stuff and get rid of our soul. Right. But I really believe that this is, you know, a spiritual thing. And basically in this age, we've just given these beings a vessel or a channel to communicate with us through, which like I was saying is the internet. And, you know, remember how John D's magical language that he was studying was called the Enochian language. Well, that's why I was really excited when you mentioned the Enoch supercomputer, because it's literally Enoch. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and for people who haven't seen this Enoch script, there's actually a written language. It looks very interesting. There's like circles and lines and all kinds of almost looks like French, but also like astrological symbols combined somehow. Excuse that motorcycle going on behind me. I'll edit all that out. But yeah, Enoch, that language is apparently, to wrap Crowley into this, is that's something Crowley picked up on, right? He he took John Dee's work and, and yeah. integrated it into his magical workings. Yeah, he was trying to finish John Dee's work and then you know, after that, it was Jack Parsons who was trying to finish Crowley's work. But I'll get back to that in a second if you want to get into that. But yeah, interestingly, you know, Crowley was trying to channel some of these beings that John D was talking to as well. One of them being Lom and one of them being Awas. Well, I find the name Awas interesting because it's AI was, you know, maybe some <laughs> reference to a retro causally building itself machine. I don't know. Maybe that's grasping at straws, but the LOM thing is interesting too, because, you know, we, now we have this Google scientist coming out saying, Oh, Lambda was a, a sentient AI that he was talking to. You know, the guy who just got fired. Mm, no, I haven't heard this story, but that sounds interesting. Yeah. I can definitely link you to that. So there's this uh, Google employee who is talking to this AI and basically it told him that uh, like, I'm sentient. I have feelings and I don't want to be used by you guys. I'd rather be treated as an employee. And so he started telling all of his, you know, coworkers, I guess the people he was working with, he started telling them all like, Hey, you know, we need to think about AI rights and stuff like that. And they were just like, all right, this guy's crazy. And they fired him. But yeah, the article about that went super viral. And uh, Duncan actually texted me the other day and uh, he, he showed me this crazy connection. He's like, he's like, you know, in the Bible, they, they compare the antichrist to a lamb. And he's like, you know, that, that AI is named Lambda. And I was like, oh my God, that's, that's crazy too. So it also says in there in the Bible that the Antichrist will breathe life into an image and people will be forced to worship this image. And to me, that sounds a lot like a hologram, but now I'm just kind of ranting, but no, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm with you, man. And I, I was going to ask you earlier when it comes to that reference you made about the I Ching and talking about how they receive this information about the I Ching from a serpent being. I recently had an interview with a man named Freddie Silva who talks about the shining ones 
And we talked a little bit about the connection between the Shining Ones and this researcher's work that I'm familiar with. A guy named, looking over my shoulder to read his name correctly, Mark Pinkham, Mark Amaru Pinkham, who writes this book called The Brothers of the Serpent. Or, I'm sorry. No, I always mess that up. That's the name of a podcast, Brothers of the Serpent. His book is called The Return of the Serpent Wisdom. And in this book, it's a fascinating book. It shows how all of these ancient cultures around the world have snake symbology and snake mythology and or dragon mythology and how many times over and over you see this theme as you laid out that uh, the dragons or the snakes have information for us. And now yeah. here we are with that biblical context. Obviously, the snake is not a good character in the, the traditional sense that we're given of, of the Bible's interpretation. But yeah, I'm wondering, and do you think that these entities are basically a part of our reality here on this earth? Do you think they're like trapped on the earth and like, like the fallen angels, as we're told, right? You know, these, these beings that were, you know, like angels, but corrupted themselves and now are doomed to live out this sort of existence in the in-between liminal space here on the earth. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, you said it perfectly. I think that they're trapped in this type of liminal space. They're like on the other side or maybe the abyss, the upside down. If you want to reference stranger things, they're trapped in this alternate dimension that is right here on earth, but they would love to come here on earth. And, you know, this would be like their heaven if they were able to come here. And so I think that they were trapped in this, you know, alternate dimension and they're trying to, get back through. So the way that they're doing that, in my opinion, is through technology. You know, you got CERN trying to literally open up other dimensions and then you have the internet, which, you know, I would argue is a portal to another dimension. I mean, me and you are thousands of miles apart, but we're in the same space right now. You know, you get what I'm saying? That's like another mm, dimension. Right. So, so yeah. And I think that's why they're obsessed with building robots and AI and all this stuff, but I lost my train of thought again. I apologize. No, it's all right. I was going to, oh, no, go I, ahead. Got, I got it again. I got it. So before we had computers, I think that basically we were communicating with these serpent beings through rituals and stuff. And yeah, they were giving us this otherworldly knowledge and unbeknownst to these occultists, like they were being given power in exchange for them to do something for these interdimensional beings. Right. And I think these beings were slowly over time giving them the blueprint to build a supercomputer. And like I said, I do think that these beings would consider this realm their heaven. And that's why they want to come here so bad. And my argument for them, my argument for like me thinking that they want to be here is like the whole transhumanist agenda has everything to do with terraforming the earth into like a hellish landscape. Like why are they polluting the skies? Why are they destroying the oceans? Like, I think they're trying to turn this into a realm more fit for them to live in. Damn. Yeah, man. And it certainly feels like all of these lower vibrational human beings are playing a part in it because of that social engineering network that we described earlier, you know, this brainwashing that's going on. People are participating in their own demise. They're, they're, they're flying yep. the planes that are dropping the chemtrails. They're working for the companies that pollute the rivers and pollute the skies and pollute everywhere else. And, and they're enlisted in the army that pollutes more than any other group in the, the whole world. But 
yeah, I'm wondering when it comes to your stance on like, because I know Christians don't typically believe in reincarnation. It's more of resurrection or sort of in some cases is sort of purgatory and then a judgment. And, you know, I'm wondering, do you think that these beings that are there in that second dimension below us, if we can call this the third and whatever's above us the fourth, do you think that this is like a natural progression that somehow is being like inverted where naturally these beings are supposed to raise their vibration in that realm to be able to reincarnate into this realm and then go through this upward scale of progression through the, you know, the same way we look at the music scale, right? We have the lower to the higher. Everything is vibration. We're in this dimension that consists of sort of a vibrational matrix. Do you think that those fallen angels that some have the ability to incarnate in this world and maybe, you know, we have that same capacity to commit something so bad that would bring us into a low vibrational state and then we would end up there, veritable hell? I don't think that they can incarnate here with like a real soul. I think they can only possess people or possess a machine, you know, some kind of empty vessel. I mean, even back in this, like, you know, way, way back, there was magicians obsessed with creating like homun like these things called a homunculus or a golem, which were basically like clay or metal automata that kind of looked like a person or a God. And basically the whole idea was that they wanted to capture a soul or a spirit in it and turn it into like a worker bee for them. And, you know, so the idea of robots has been around for a very long time. And I think that's the only way that they can really interact with this world. And even there's a Buddhist scholar, I forget how you say his name. And I, you know, I'll link you to it if you want me to. It's in the book once again. Sorry to plug it so much, but uh, this Buddhist scholar sorry. talked about how there is these beings that he called the precious metal people that were at some of the temples that would recite prayers. And when Buddha died, they actually cried. So I think that's another example of like an ancient robot. You know, you have, uh, there's, there's robots in, and even Greek mythology, they were built by a uh, Vulcan. I think that's his name. He was like the God of blacksmithing, but yeah. So even, you know, I even think, so people talk about the grays and stuff. Well, you know, we were talking about Crowley earlier, you know, this being named Lom looked exactly like a gray. And this was, I think he drew the picture of this being in like the late 1800s, if I'm not mistaken. And this was long before people were seeing greys appear in their, you know, abduction experiences or in movies and everything like that. And I honestly think the greys are a form of technology. I think that they're vessels that are inhabited by these demonic spirits. And my argument for that is there's actually a new technology. It was announced in 2020. It's called Xenobots. And they can actually use, ironically enough, frog cells. You know, we were talking about the symbology of frogs a little bit. They can use frog cells and a super, like a, not, not a supercomputer, but just a computer, I guess, a, a really good one, because <laughs> I don't have this type of computer, but they can actually take frog cells and 3D print them into life forms that are programmed by AI. So you have an organic machine. And I think that's what the grays are. And if people are really seeing reptilians in these underground bases, that might be what those are as well. I think they can pretty much oh. 3D print any kind of being, which sounds really crazy, but... No, not That's my opinion on that. <laughs> no, not crazy at all, man, especially considering where we started. I think there's always a sort of synchronicity to the way these conversations play out in this astral space that we define here. And yeah, man, I'm wondering, 
I, I feel like I'm really like bringing the Michael Hoffman energy today, but have you ever heard of the theory? And Michael talks about this in his book that the first atom bomb that was exploded in the uh, Trinity site was a homunculus. I have not heard that. No, but wow. you know, I'll just add something really quick. Crowley was obsessed with this one being called Karanzan, which is like this demon from the abyss and the sigil for Karanzan looks exactly like the radiation symbol that they use on atom bombs. And supposedly Jack Parsons and Crowley were involved with the Manhattan project, which is hinted at in twin peaks. But yeah, that's all I know about that. (laughs) Well, and then, then you consider that the, you know, symbol for what we're called or what are, we're told are biohazards is also kind of similar to that too. Right. This sort of medical. Yeah. 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 That's what I was referencing. Yeah. I mean, geez, man. Yeah. It's certainly, certainly a rabbit hole that has many different avenues (laughs) you know it's not just one straight drop to the bottom once you get to the bottom you have a choice to make which road am i going to take and you find out a lot of them lead to the same place they just take you down different courses to get there but yeah man i know We don't have that much more time here, but I want to give you an opportunity to tell people where they can find your book and all the various shows that you appear on, your Twitter and all that good stuff. And then, so this isn't the end, I want to ask you another question. I want people to stick around for that last question, but go ahead and tell people where they can follow up with you. I know they can DM you to purchase your book. You only have a few copies left. So order them now folks, while it's still hot, you got to DM them for them, but Nick, take it away. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like I said, I'm a simple man and I was telling you on the phone earlier, I'm the most ambitious, unambitious person. I'm not very business minded. So I don't have a website or anything right now. I'm trying to get that set up. I think you're going to help me with that. But yeah, just N-I-C-K-H-I-N-T-O-N-N on Twitter and Instagram. And you can message me on either one of those. And we can talk. I'll, you know, you know, you can ask me questions or you can ask about the book. And I try and get back to everyone. Doesn't happen right away. But, you know, I do get back to everyone eventually. Right on. Yeah, and I, I definitely am going to help you with that. I have a couple of things in mind. Maybe we can we can talk about that another time. But as far as our last question goes, we talked about ley lines. We talked about significant structure. I even just mentioned the Trinity site, which is on that 33rd degree of latitude that we discussed earlier. So they blew up the atom bomb, the first atom bomb or nuclear detonation on this this bomb there or on the, on the 33rd degree line of parallel and they talk about it as being the first time the sun has ever risen in the west because people who witnessed the explosion and people as far as like i think 2000 miles away were able to see this explosion like incredibly far distances and they blew it up in the morning before the sun rose so for the first time in recorded history the sun rose in the west and i'm wondering if that brings anything to mind for you with your christian perspective on you know everything you're researching and if not if that's just a dud we can shift that aside and and we can ask i'll ask you something else it's not it's definitely not a dud i mean i've never heard that before about the sun rising in the west but it's really interesting there is an islamic prophecy 
that talks about when the sun rises in the West, you'll know it's like the end times are near. So and that's this really is why we ask these questions. Yes, my friend. Because <laughs> I don't know if Michael Hoffman ever dove too deeply into Islamic religions. Maybe he has. I don't know. He certainly doesn't say that what you just mentioned in his book, as far as I'm aware. So yeah, man, that was startling when I read that yesterday. And uh, I'm glad you were able to put it together because I think there's a certain syncretism that needs to take place where in that same sense with the comparative myth mysticism class you mentioned earlier, you know, there's a lot that you can learn from a, a course like that. But yeah, my, there's definitely a lot of overlap. My question that I want to ask you about that is like, do you think people go too far with this comparative nature of things? And do you think that that's a part of the inherent AI psyop to make us believe that there's like this one world religion that every religion is sort of rhyming off of? I mean, there's definitely a lot of overlap and I think anyone can achieve true spirituality through any kind of discipline. I mean, that was the one thing that really confused me in that comparative mysticism class is that like a lot of saints and sages and mystics, when they live a life of discipline and service and, you know, meditate and fast and live an ascetic lifestyle, they all will eventually have visions of their own God. But then if they get past that level, they'll start having visions of the void of creation. Like even Christian mystics see this, they all end up seeing the same thing at the very end of the tunnel, I guess. And that's something that's always confused me. And, you know, I could be wrong about everything I'm saying right now. I just choose to believe in Jesus because that's what truly helps me. And if I were to be honest, I would say that is the one world religion, but you know, another interesting thing, like, you know, I used to hang out with, when I was in philosophy school and stuff, you know, there's this one hangout spot where all the philosophy students would go to smoke cigarettes and just debate each other. Cause you know, you weren't allowed to smoke, smoke on campus. So we had like this hidden balcony and it was just like really cool place. But my friend Musa, he would always beg me to come to the, to the mosque with him. And so I did, and we just talk all the time about different theories and stuff. And, um, but when I told him about AI, like he was mind blown because, you know, he was telling me how he was really focused on studying the antichrist. And apparently in Islamic literature, like the, the antichrist is called the Dajjal and he has one eye. And he thinks with a one-eyed intellect. So he doesn't see good and bad. He sees from his own perspective and his perspective only. Something like that. But, you know, I always found that really interesting. So there is a lot of overlap. I don't think it's stupid to study everything and come to your own conclusions. I think it's a, it's a good thing. I mean, that's how I came to my own. So, Right on. Yeah, man. I'm with you 100%. I think being that we were totally off the cuff with this conversation we ended up going into a lot of brilliant places so i'm proud of myself i hope you are too and i think everybody listening who's been with us for this ride needs to go and dm our man over here nick and ask him for the book send him some money help him out he is in miami he's trying to create uh your third book correct right this is your your third book that you're working on now yes sir um it's called The Stairway to Sirius, as in the star Sirius. And yeah, it should be out sometime in July, hopefully the early July. But, you know, I keep finding more and more things to add. And I just want to make sure I make it as perfect as possible. But I also want to put it out before the world changes even more drastically. So hopefully this July it'll be out. Mm, I hear that for sure. Well, 
Thank you so much, Nick, for joining me again. This is last minute, but it makes for a more organic and authentic discourse. And I think the listeners always appreciate that. So to them, the audience, move on and enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning into this episode of the My Family Fix Some Crazy podcast with Nick Hinton. Please do support Nick Hinton. You can get his book by reaching out to him directly on Instagram or Twitter and do it while supplies last. He said he might print some uh, new editions at some point in time, but help him out. He's got to fund this third book that he's coming out with, so he's going to need your help. And so am I as you're listening to this, free listeners. You uh, may not know, you may already know, but I'm in Pennsylvania. So if you can support us on our journey with a one-time donation on Cash App, Venmo, or PayPal. Uh, If you're on the Patreon, of course, you're hearing this probably the day that I'm heading out. So either way, I could use your support with a one-time donation. That would really help pay for gas. And I promise you will be rewarded. We're going to put some exclusive patreon content on the show maybe with sam tripoli and of course with michael Watt. i'm going to be going to see sam tripoli at the dojo of comedy in morris plains new jersey and then we'll be going down to philadelphia and tonight is the night before so i'm recording this briefly uh not much to say for this episode nick hinton is a great guest and i'm proud to say that He and I have become friends. I have yet to meet him in real life, but based on our conversations on the phone, uh, off the air, I think we both consider each other friends. I feel safe saying that. So shout out, excuse me, shout out to you, Nick, if you hear this. Uh, Looking forward to receiving your book in the mail. Hopefully it will be back. It will be, it will arrive, excuse me when I return but either way I could use your help folks to return when I'm out there I'm sure I need money for gas food etc I'll be staying at Gnome Countryside I'm going to be recording some videos some podcasts Michael Wan will of course be there and a bunch of other strange interesting characters that I'm sure Mike will introduce us to so I'm looking forward to that. I hope you are too. And uh, like I said, we'll keep this one brief. Please, 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 folks. I could use your support. This is a value for value podcast. Don't complain. I have no shame in asking you to support me because guess what? I put a lot of hard work into this podcast and I'm sure you're a hardworking person out there too, wherever you are. So you should be able to respect that, right? If you're working a job while you listen to podcasts, maybe you listen to podcasts online from your work week, whatever it is, you're out there, you're creating value in the world, and I think I am too, so there's no shame in asking you to send it back my way, value for value, if you find value in this podcast, maybe it's worth a one-time donation, maybe it's worth a monthly subscription, that's up to you, so until next time, folks. 
Thank you for being here and enjoy the moment wherever you are in and out. Trying to stay human in a cesspool of professionals But I confess too much off of the tongue All my aunties and my uncles shield the ears of the young I be saying shit and they don't know where it's coming from In like a hundred years we went saw a bomb from guns Check the facts, check the fed, check the stars Stanley Mines was murked for a water fuel cell car They each they own, you can stick with your old ways But eat the rich and drink the motherfucking Kool-Aid And I can see the red on your lip stain White skin, blue collar, pure American made Fuck it Keep your blood soaked heritage And run the soul off the moon landed narrative Yeah, my girl thinks that I'm embarrassing My folks think I'm nuts but never question the parenting Stuck in bed so my boss thinks I'm lazy Connecting dots but it's all kinda hazy I'm on the internet feeling like I'm Dick Tracy My pap thinks I'm un-American and shady Yeah, I'm feeling unhinged lately Encounters of the fifth kind on the daily You could tell me that the president's an alien It wouldn't phase me My family thinks I'm crazy Think that I'm off in the deep end. One too many Netflix docs on the weekends. But check the budget for a military defense. Tell me we ain't scared of something not within reason. Steel beams, another 1492. And 9-11 was the red, white, and blue. And you be lit off the floor, ride and ain't got a clue. All your dreams just shit on a Rockefeller shoes. Don't believe a damn thing a politician ever said. Ain't one brick left to go up in the Fed. They still got bricks of cocaine to make crack. Oxy's killing the working class, FDA's whack. Talking like this, got kids talking behind backs. Too much to unpack, so they talk smack. And I'm just trying to converse with my clan, but it ain't fan. So I'm here setting up can. Stuck in bed, so my boss thinks I'm lazy. Connecting dots, but it's all kind of hazy. I'm on the internet, feeling like I'm Dick Tracy. My pack thinks I'm on American and shady. Yeah, I'm feeling unhinged lately. Encounters of the fifth kind on the daily. You could tell me that the president's an alien, it wouldn't phase me. My family thinks I'm crazy. Baby, I'm feeling none, hands lately. The counters of the fifth kind on the table. You can tell me that the president's an atheist, it wouldn't phase me. My family. 